I know most of you already know this, but um, things, a lot of things change when you have kids, right? And um, everything changes. And one of the things I just realized a couple weeks ago that has changed since I had kids is my ability to watch the Super Bowl. We had a Super Bowl party at our house a couple weeks ago. And um, it used to be that one of my favorite parts of the Super Bowl, because let's face it, the Bears are like never, ever in the Super Bowl, except for... Oh, what was it, about 10 years ago, I think they were in it. And uh, so anyways, I usually don't have too much interest in the actual game, but I usually really enjoy uh, the, the commercials. But I realized that um, as I was trying to watch the Super Bowl with my kids, I can't hear like anything anymore ever on TV, like never if my kids are around, including Super Bowl commercials. But I, so I only caught one of the Super Bowl commercials, and it was kind of a funny one, and it was an H&R Block uh, commercial. And apparently they have a whole series of these. And it started off kind of weird and creepy, and it had like a ghost in an attic. And uh, then the ghost like hits his head on a rafter. And, and it, basically it's talking about the whole theme of this commercial is uh, let us take the scary out of your taxes. And it got me thinking about how that illustrates how our fears kind of, uh, our fears kind of change uh, over time. Um, you know, it goes from, uh, and, and that's what these commercials are about. They've got, you know, ghost ones, and they've got zombie ones, and they've got a bunch of different ones um, in this series. And it's basically talking about things that we're scared of when we're kids and comparing those to other things that we're scared of as adults, like maybe filing our taxes or paying for our taxes, whatever it is. Uh, but it is funny how our fears kind of change over time. When we're kids, we're scared of the dark or Maybe we're concerned that there's a monster in the closet or a boogeyman under the bed. I was talking to Eli this week, and he's one of those that he is always difficult to get him down for bed. Like, he's just never stops moving, you know, never stops. Is he in here? Good. Okay, he's not in here. So don't tell him I told you this. It just, like, never stops talking, never stops moving. And then he comes out saying, well, I can't fall asleep. And I'm like, well, yeah, when you're, like, jumping from your bed across the room, it's hard to fall asleep. So uh, anyways, he has a hard time falling asleep. And so I told him, I said, if you want to fall asleep, I said, just let your eyes close, take a few deep breaths and just relax. And he said, well, I can't close my eyes. I'm afraid if I close my eyes, I'll imagine something scary and I'll be scared. So I can't close my eyes. Kids are like that sometimes. And we try to reason with them and we try to explain to them that their fears are not rational. As we get older though, our fears don't go away, do they? They just change, take on different forms. We even, even call fears uh, something else. We, we call it, well, I'm just nervous, or we say I'm anxious about something. But at the end of the day, it's fear. And maybe it changes from a, a ghost or a monster or a boogeyman to tax season or having enough work or our health or our kids' safety or sometimes it's fearing what people think of us. So here's an interesting question that I thought of this week. Do our fears get more rational as we get older? Or is it just that we lack somebody in authority over us to tell us that they're not rational? You ever think about that? I mean, we still have fears, right? And we try to tell our kids that their fears aren't rational. Are our fears as adults any more rational than the fears of, of kids? There's a lot of different kinds of fears out there. There's things that startle us. For me, it's mice. I hate mice. I can handle snakes. I can handle bugs. I don't do mice. I get startled by mice. There's things that startle us. There's things that cause us to dread. Maybe he was talking about taxes. Maybe things that make us uncertain, um, things like health. I mean, there's different kinds of fear. But the Bible says a lot about fear, talks a lot about it. And you might have heard people say, well, the Bible talks about fear 365 times. And so, you know, 
once for every day, the Bible talks about fear. Um, the Bible does probably mention the word fear 365 uh, times, but a lot of those things have nothing to do with saying don't fear. But I am saying this, so that's not true. But what is true is that if you take all the references to fear and you put them in context in terms of, of like what the Bible, when the Bible tells us not to fear, it's over 100 times. Over 100 times, the Bible explicitly tells us, do not fear in some form or another. 100 times. Over 100 times. Can you think of too many times something is mentioned 100 times or more in the Bible? And there's examples, of course. Just to give you an example of, of where this falls in terms of how important it is, the word believe is mentioned 120 times in the Bible. Now, I would think we would all agree that believing is pretty important to our faith, right? And it's mentioned 120 times in the Bible. The word grace, again, I think we would all agree that's a pretty important concept to our faith. It's mentioned just over 130 times. So right up there, the Bible talks about fear just as much, almost, as grace and belief. It talks about fear. So I think we could all agree that according to the Bible, fear is a very important topic. And we're told over and over in some form or another in the Bible, do not fear or fear not. But let's face it, it's easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? It seems like the more we kind of try to buckle down mentally and say, okay, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to be scared, I'm not going to be anxious, the more we tell ourselves not to be afraid, the more we think about the things that cause us to be afraid. Maybe you've experienced that. And so the question is, how do we handle our fear? I think that fear is one of those things, it's kind of like a mirror. And it really reflects, it really portrays what you think about things. It really reveals what you think about people. I think fear reveals what you think about yourself. And I think fear, most importantly, really reveals a lot about what you really think about God. Let me give you some examples. Fear, uh, for example, of what people think about us. Or uh, the, the fear that people are out to get us. There's some people that are like that. They just think everybody's out to get them. And so if, you, if those are the kind of fears that you wrestle with, what's really at the heart of the issue? If you're worried about what people think of you or if you're worried that people are out to get you, isn't that kind of tied to vanity? I mean, is it kind of the focus on ourselves? I mean, it really reveals that what we think about ourselves and what we think about other people. When you think about our fear of failure, we're either focused on what we think we're capable of or we think that God doesn't care enough to help us, or that he can't help us, or that he won't help us. So it reveals what we think about ourselves. It reveals what we really think about God. And what we find about fear is that if you want to learn how to overcome fear, you really have to hone in on the topic of trust, because that's what's at the heart of the matter, is trust. Just like when you take your, your child, and my kids always love to do this, and you toss them up in the air, they're not scared, because they know that you're going to catch them. They, they trust you. There is no fear. It's just they think, they think it's fun because they've gained trust. They, they trust you. And the same ought to be true for us, that if we've seen God be faithful time and time again, that we should build this, this relationship of trust with him. But the question is, do we really trust God or do we just say that we trust him? We think that we trust God, I think all of us do, until we're put to the test. And when we're in these difficult times, we ask ourselves the question, do I really believe what I claim to believe in? So how do you react? Or how have you reacted? When you come up against impossible circumstances, when you find yourself in a difficult place, how do you react? 
What do your actions say about what you believe? You can claim to believe something intellectually with your mouth all you want, but what do your actions, what does your heart say you really believe about God and what he thinks about you? Do your actions reveal that you believe in him at all? Do your actions reveal that you just think he's nothing more than a man, a carpenter's son? Or do your actions reveal that you believe that he's your savior? How many of you in this room have faith in Jesus? You don't, I don't want you to answer that now. I want you to answer that in your mind. You don't have to answer it with your hand or anything. But how many of you claim to have faith in Jesus this morning? If you claim to have faith, you need to understand that real faith is always bigger than fear. Real faith, genuine faith, is always bigger than fear. We talked about difficult circumstances. Well, the disciples, they had one of these gut check moments that we often have. One of these moments that really asks the question, do you really trust me? Do you really believe me? It comes from Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out or your, you know, whatever you read your Bible on, your smartphone or tablet, whatever you got with you. If you didn't bring one today, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. And if all else fails, we have it up here on the screen. I'd like for you to have it in your own hands so you can kind of look at what we're talking about uh, when it's not up there. But Mark chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 35 through 41. And this is what it says. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, news about Jesus traveled far and it traveled fast. I mean, you've got healings and exorcisms. You've got a, a guy teaching like people had never heard before. They said, this guy talks like a person that has authority. So huge crowds were following him. And so much so that Jesus had to be very intentional. If he wanted to ever have time by himself, even time to sleep, he had to get away very intentionally. I mean, he had to kind of escape sometimes, and this is one of the ways that he did it. He had to intentionally seek out solitude. He had to intentionally uh, take time to explain the deeper meaning of the parables and stories to his disciples. He, he was intentional about it. And so this is one of those moments. He was uh, teaching. It was getting dark, and so they got into the fishing boat, and they set across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And one of the things that maybe you already know this about the Sea of Galilee, but it sits uh, lower uh, than the rest of the land around it. It's at a lower uh, elevation. And so because of that, and because it's a mountainous region, there's a lot of storms that just kind of pop up suddenly, and they're violent storms. The, the wind is strong, and I was watching uh, videos on YouTube this week of, of what it's like to be in a boat uh, during one of these storms on the Sea of Galilee. It, it happens a lot. Now, some of these disciples, not all of them, but some of them were fishermen. They were used to these storms. They had seen these storms. They spent a lot of time on the Sea of Galilee. And when I think of fishermen, I don't know about you, but I picture kind of a rough bunch. I remember uh, it was probably a decade ago, and I don't even know if this show's still on, but Deadliest Catch was a show that was on. I didn't watch it very often, but I caught an episode or two. And those guys were rough, weren't they? 
And that's kind of what I picture when I think of these guys. I picture guys that were willing to work through the night. We know that they fished at night. I picture guys that were, you know, their arms were strong from, from pulling and dropping nets. Uh, guys that weren't deterred by weather or, or fear or the stench of fish or anything like that. These, this is a rough bunch of guys. But as they're making their way across the sea, it says a great windstorm arose. I love what the NIV says, a furious squall. And the word that's used here is the same word that you could use for a whirlwind or a hurricane. I mean, we're talking about a storm that has incredible wind power. So much that the wind begins to form giant waves, waves big enough to to crash over the side of the boat and into the boat. This is something we'll kind of talk about later, but it's kind of an interesting thought when you think of it. A boat doesn't have any purpose unless there's water, right? That's the whole purpose of a boat. It goes into the water. It's constantly surrounded by water. It's only a problem when the water gets inside the boat. That's when it becomes an issue. We'll get to that later. But here... These, these waves are big enough that they're crashing into the boat, getting them wet, I mean, maybe almost washing them overboard. And here these calloused fishermen, it says that they're scared. There is something about this storm that is unlike any other storm. They are scared for their lives. So let's try to imagine what that must have been like. It's dark. The boat is being tossed. You know, I don't know if you've ever been whitewater rafting, uh, but there's rapids and you dro- you'll drop, you know, several feet you know, the boat will. And so you imagine this boat, you know, if there's waves big enough to crash into the boat, you know that it, I mean, it's, it's got to be going up and down. I don't know how many feet, but you think probably at least like 10 feet, it's going up and down in the water. Waves are crashing over the side of the boat and the boat begins to fill and it begins to sink. What a terrible feeling. There's a nautical phrase, all hands on deck. And if there's ever a time for all hands on deck, it was now. The disciples, they began frantically bailing water out of the boat, trying to keep enough out of the boat to stay afloat. They couldn't keep up. And compounding the problem, making it even worse, was the fact that they were a little shorthanded. They were trying to bail water out of the boat, but yet one guy wasn't pulling his weight. His name was Jesus. Instead of bailing water, it says that Jesus was fast asleep. And I love this story because the story of Jesus is this beautiful collision between heaven and earth, between divinity and humanity. And we read here that Jesus, like all of us, was tired, tired enough to sleep. And when we see Jesus in this light, I mean, it almost seems a little irresponsible, doesn't it? I mean, you understand where the disciples are coming from and why they're upset. In the book of Luke, the disciples call him master, which means commander, Well, the commander, the guy that should be in charge, is the one that is fast asleep. But we know Jesus, he's not being irresponsible, is he? He knows that he has nothing to fear. He knows that the Father has him, and there's nothing to be scared of. But they wake him up and they say, Teacher, do you not care? You ever ask that question? In the midst of your storm? God, do you even care? Do you even care what I'm going through? I mean, why are you allowing this to happen? You ever ask that question? Jesus Teacher, do you even care? Do you not care that we are perishing? They thought they were dead. So I wonder, why did the disciples wake Jesus up? You ever thought about that? Seems obvious, right? Because we know how the story ends. You think that they woke him up expecting him to take care of the storm? I don't think they did. I think they just wanted Jesus to realize, hey, we're in misery. We think we're dying. We want you. Misery loves company, right? They were probably mad at the fact that Jesus was so oblivious to the fact that they were getting ready to die. Also, they wanted him to pull his own weight. 
grab a bucket, help us bail some water. And they were just baffled that he was oblivious to what was happening. I mean, imagine what that must have been like. I mean, have you ever had one of these experiences where you didn't know if you were going to make it out alive? Maybe a, a car accident or, you know, I don't know what it would be. But maybe you've had one of these experiences where you just thought, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. This is the scariest moment of their lives. They just want Jesus to pull his own weight. But instead, Jesus has something much bigger in mind, doesn't he? It says that he wakes up and he rebukes the wind. This is a common word in the Bible. It's the same word that is used when Jesus cast out demons. And one question that people like to ask when it comes to this story is, well, did Jesus cause this storm to test their faith? I, I don't know that I can say either way definitively, but it doesn't make sense to me that Jesus would rebuke something that he caused. Now, God allows all. I mean, he has to allow. If he's all-powerful, he allows all to happen. He allows it to happen. Did Jesus cause this storm? I don't think he did. It said that he rebuked the wind. Some people even think that there was maybe a demonic element to this storm. I don't know if that's true or not, but I understand where they're coming from. But he rebukes the wind, and then he uh, speaks to the sea, and he says, Peace, be still. It says there was a great calm. It says there was a great storm, and now there was a great calm. Parents, wouldn't it be awesome to have that ability? I mean, I say peace, be still to my kids all the time. Like, never works, ever. Jesus speaks to the wind, and he speaks to the sea, and it obeys. Now, if you've got your Bibles, this is why I'd like you to have your Bibles in front of you if you can. I want you to look back uh, to the paragraph that precedes what we just read. Uh, verses 30 through 34. We're not going to read it. I just want you to look at it. And if you glance through that or just read the heading, you know what it's talking about? Faith. Jesus just got done talking about faith. He talks about the faith of mustard seed. He says a mustard seed is like the smallest seed. But if you plant it, it's going to be the biggest plant in your garden, so much that it's called a, a tree. He says your faith is like that. It just takes a little bit, and it grows into something big and powerful. Jesus just got done talking about faith. I mean, the disciples, they've seen demons cast out. Sickness has been healed. They heard him teach like no one else. They saw Jesus stand up to powerful leaders. Uh, they saw Jesus have this personal kind of relationship with the Father like they had never seen before. And yet their faith crumpled under the pressure. Jesus even asked them, have you still? I mean, after all this, after all you've seen, Remember, they've already had the miraculous catch of fish. People have been healed. Demons have been cast out. After all this, have you still no faith? Here's what gets me. Jesus kind of rebukes them for being afraid. He says, why are you afraid? But then it says, after he speaks, it says, then they were filled with great fear. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Jesus tells them not to be afraid, and yet they seem to get more scared. I mean, the Bible tells us not to be afraid, but you need to understand that their fear changed. They went from being afraid of their circumstances to being afraid of something else. This wasn't uncertainty. This wasn't the kind of fear that was panic. This wasn't anxiety. This kind of fear was the feeling of realizing their smallness in the shadow of Almighty God. That's the kind of fear that they were feeling now. It was awe. It was true humility. 
John Piper, he says this in the book, The Pleasures of God. He says, at first there was this fear that this terrible storm and awful terrain might claim your life, but then you found refuge and gained the hope that you would be safe. But not everything in the feeling, in the feeling called fear vanished from your heart, only the life-threatening part. There remained the trembling awe, the wonder, the feeling that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such a power. The fear of God is what is left of the storm when you have a safe place to watch right in the middle of it. Oh, the thrill of being here in the center of the awful power of God, yet protected by God himself. They were filled with fear because they came face to face with who Jesus really was. And you see that in this passage. The question that they ask, they say, who is this man? Who is this man? What kind of man is this? You see, they realized that Jesus was not just the carpenter's son. He was not just a man. Now, this isn't the first time it's happened, is it? Remember Peter? What was his response after the miraculous catch of fish? He fell on his face before God and said, Jesus, get away from me. I can't even be in your presence. I, I, I can't even be in the same place as you. It wasn't the first time it happened. Proverbs talks about this kind of fear, and it, it's this strange... Uh, uh, Strange tension here between the kinds of fear. Uh, Proverbs 14, 26 says this. In the fear of the Lord, has, one has strong confidence. You know, we don't think of fear and confidence in the same sentence, do we? We think that those are, are, are opposites. But it says here, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. You see, it's not that we're, we aren't supposed to fear. We say, well, the Bible says we're not supposed to fear. It's not that we're not supposed to fear. It's that all our fears ought to be subject to, to the fear of God first. That's what it means. All of our fears ought to be subject first to the fear of the Lord. The disciples, their fear reveals a lot about their faith or their lack of it. They probably thought they had faith. They had seen incredible things. But their fear revealed that they didn't think that Jesus was really God. Either he didn't care enough to save them, or he couldn't save them. And sometimes we, we sit back and we look at this and we, we think, how could they? I mean, come on. I mean, how, how could your faith not be stronger than that? I mean, but we need to understand they didn't have the whole picture like we do. They didn't know the whole story. We know the whole story, don't we? And yet we still have times where we can perfectly understand where the disciples are coming from. Times in our lives where we fear just like the disciples. So the question is, when you're fearful of things, when you have anxiety, when you're nervous about things, what does your fear reveal about you? These guys were wide awake. They couldn't sleep, and yet Jesus was fast asleep. So what keeps you up at night? What makes you toss and turn? What makes you nervous or scared? What fears do you face? What impossible situation are you up against? Maybe it's past regrets that you just cannot seem to overcome. Maybe it's the fear of, of dying, or maybe it's the fear of losing someone you love. Maybe it's the fear of failure to parent properly, the, the fear to provide for your family. It could be anything. And sometimes there's different, I just want to encourage you, anytime that you're scared, to try to ask yourself, what am I really afraid of? To trace it back and ask yourself, what is this really about? Maybe you think a little too much of yourself. Maybe it's the fact that you're putting your desires before God's. And in that case, you should be afraid. You should be very afraid because you've made everything about you and your kingdom and what you think you ought to do. 
and you've put all that on your shoulders. And you start to get scared wondering, am I really going to be able to do this? Am I, am I going to make a mistake? You've, you've put this on your own shoulders. You ought to be afraid. You ought to feel burdened because you've taken that burden on yourself because you said, I'm going to try it my way. You should be very afraid. Maybe your view of yourself is the opposite. Maybe it's too low. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Teacher, do you even care that we're getting ready to perish? It says right here, he cares for you. And Peter's the one that said it, ironically. Now, I want to be clear here. When I talk about a low view of self, I'm not talking about self-esteem. Take that, throw it out the window. We're not talking about self-esteem. We're not talking about what you think of your own ability and your own power. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is understanding who you are in God's eyes. I don't care about self-esteem. I'm talking about who, what you think of yourself because of who God says you are. That's what I'm talking about. So this is about realizing that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, understanding that God knows you, he created you, he sees you, and he cares about you. But maybe your view of God is too low. Maybe you think that he either can't or that he won't help you. And it feels like that sometimes when we're in the midst of a storm, doesn't it? Sometimes we feel like it. We just don't even think that God's going to help us. Jesus, it says here, he didn't make the storm. Sometimes we're tempted to think, Jesus, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you doing this to me? Jesus didn't make the storm, I don't think. He rebuked it. He calmed it. And so when you're in these times where you're up against these big storms, these big challenges in your life, you know, the one thing I, I try to tell myself when I'm coming, coming up against something that's difficult is, you know, the bigger the storm, the bigger the rescue, the more dramatic the rescue. And I've seen it happen time and time again. So the bigger the storm you're facing, the bigger the deliverance. So the question is, regardless of, of whether your, your view of yourself is too high or too low or whether your view of God is too low, the question is practically, how do we deal with fear then? My encouragement to you is don't try to deal with fear. Don't focus on fear. Don't say, okay, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be anxious because that's, that's not going to work. Don't look at the fear. Don't look at the circumstances. Instead, focus on fearing God. That's how we deal with fear. What does that look like, practically speaking? Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 8, I think, gives us a good picture. Practical advice on what we ought to do with fear. doesn't even talk about fear. Oh, yes, it does. It talks about being anxious. That's the same thing. Um, but here's what it says. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Yeah. Okay. Easier said than done, right? Rejoice always. We'll, we'll get to that. It says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here we go. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything... If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, i got to admit, this is actually pretty fresh for me. I needed to hear this. Uh, I'm not a worrier, and I've never dealt with anxiety up until, like, last week. I came up against a situation, a situation of my own doing, and uh, it had me stressed out like I've never been stressed out before. 
And immediately I called some of my friends and I said, I need you to pray for me because I've got this situation and, and I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And uh, I, I've never felt anxiety and I understand now what anxiety feels like. I mean, and it's terrible. I'm sorry for those of you who, who experience that on a regular basis. I can't imagine. Um, but you know what? I knew that God didn't want me to fear. I knew that I shouldn't be afraid. And I, I had my friends pray for me and I, I prayed. And every time I was worried, I just thanked God for who he is and what he was about to do. That's what I tried to do every single time. Every time I was afraid, just say, thank you, God, for what I have and who you are, and I thank you for what you're about to do. And I, I kept trying every time I was afraid to get to the root of, of my fear and figure out what am I really afraid of? What am I really afraid of? What do I really think is going to happen? For me, it boiled down to a fear of prov- not being able to provide, a fear of failure. That's what it really boiled down to. But then I read this passage, and it says, rejoice always says, don't be anxious. But how do we do that? Well, he tells us how to do it, and we skip over this. Sometimes we read, oh, don't be anxious about anything, and we, we stop there. And then we skip down to where it says, and the peace of God will, will, will uh, what does it say? Uh, you'll experience a peace of God that passes all understanding. We kind of skip what it says in between. It says, instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, it says, pray. It says, with thanksgiving... Make your request known to God. It tells you exactly how to overcome anxiety, to pray. It seems like, you know, again, easier said than done, but it tells us how to pray. When you pray, it says to pray with thanksgiving. You see, prayer alters not God, it alters your perspective. It alters what you think. And as you pray with thankfulness and you thank God for who he is and what he's already done, you're reminded that you can have confidence to face anything. Not because of your own power, but because of God's power working through you. And then it goes on, it says, he will give you peace that passes all understanding and he'll guard you. As you pray with thanksgiving, you realize how faithful God is and and you know, and you have confidence that he will continue to do that. There's no doubt that storms are going to come your way. Going back to the, the whole boat thing, a boat is meant to be in water, right? Surrounded by water. The only problem is when water gets inside and the same is true of you. In our lives, we are surrounded constantly by trouble and by difficult circumstances, and that doesn't have to be a problem. The only problem is when you let it get inside. The only problem is when you let it affect your view of God and how you see things, and pretty soon your faith, your ship, your life begins to sink. Don't let it get inside. Realize that you can have confidence when we rely on, on God, and Jesus, not on our own strength, but when you put your hope and your trust in God, you can have confidence that you can weather the storm. He doesn't promise that storms aren't going to come. Jesus let the storm come, but he calmed the storm. And if he did that for the disciples, if he could speak to the wind and the sea, he can sure overcome whatever obstacle you're going through. So if we fear God, there's no need to fear the storm. Real faith, real faith is always bigger than the fear. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day you've given us today. We thank you for the chance to be together in this house. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the source of truth in a world where people say there is no source of absolute truth. We know the answer. Sometimes, Lord, we, uh, we're not very good at, at looking for it. Sometimes we're not very good at seeing it. But we know, Lord, that you give us all the truth that we need. I pray, Lord, that we will be people of the word, that we will be people of prayer. 
We know, Lord, that there are storms that we come up against all the time. But we know that if we put our hope and our trust in you, it doesn't mean that things are always going to work out the way that we think they ought to go. But we do trust that they're going to go the way that you want them to go if we put our hope and our trust in you. Give us that confidence, Lord, to weather the storm. Every time that we're, we come up against a difficult circumstance, I pray, Lord, that, that we'll look to you, that we'll pray, and with thanksgiving we'll say we, we praise you, God, for who you are, for being a God of mercy and a God of grace and our creator and a God of power. And, Lord, I pray that we put our, our trust in you, that we will hide under the shadow of your wings. Give us that confidence, Lord. And it's your name I pray. Amen.